you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be uh, down in verse 30, um, and I'll put it on the screen for you as we go. But um, last week, if you, so if, if you picture um, <clears throat> last week, uh, Pastor Nathan walked us through um, there was this whole thing. Everyone's kind of debating who Jesus is. Um, so is he Elijah? Is he one of the prophets? They're trying to get their heads around, like, what is going on with this guy? Something unique. Who is he? And then we see uh, this, this sort of side story with Herod, um, King Herod, who's like very intimidated by John the Baptist. He's worried that Jesus is John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And so the whole thing takes place around this, this meal. There's this banquet in the palace, and it ends in all this degenerate uh, activity, and it ends in literal death. Well, here, Mark sets this passage next to that passage, and there was a meal that was degenerate and ends in death. And here we see a different kind of a meal, um, this time not in the palace, but in the wilderness. And it's a, it's a meal that leads not to death, but leads to life. And it's a really beautiful um, comparison. So we're going to jump right in. And uh, here's how Mark begins to tell this story in Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So the disciples here, as this begins, they're following Jesus and um, they return to Jesus. Um, They're actually, they're called apostles now because what has just happened, if you recall from before Christmas, um, the the last thing we did in talking about uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Mark before we broke for Advent was uh, Jesus sent out his disciples. And once they're sent out, they're apostles. Apostles means like sent out one. So he sends them out two by two. He sends them to go heal people, to anoint them with oil, to basically take everything you've learned about me and go tell other people that. So Jesus is very clear from the beginning, hey, you're following me, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. So go, go and like fish for people. Bring other people in to, to tell them what you're experiencing, um, to, to cast out demons, to heal them, like those kinds of things. Go do it. And um, so here now, we get this little tangent of this John the Baptist thing. And here now they're coming back and they're telling Jesus everything that they've just experienced. And I would have loved to have been there. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know what it would have been like, but how cool to see Jesus healing people and casting out demons. How terrifying to be sitting there and have uh, Jesus say, okay, your turn. Now you go and do it. You've seen me do it. Now you go and do it. And then when they come back to think of Jesus just sitting there with a smile on his face, it's just like, oh, Jesus, there was this one demon and we, you know, we cast him out and whatever. Like, I don't know what they experienced, but I love the thought of um, them just like excitedly telling everything. And so Jesus sees that and he's like, okay, good job, guys. Let's get out of here. Let's step away for a time. Um, we're going to come away by ourselves. We're going to go to a des- desolate place, and we're going to rest a while. It's a mountain retreat, and Jesus is, um, is just like in tune to what they need. There's a lot of coming and going. It says they don't even have time to eat, so it's like they're hungry, they're exhausted, and Jesus is like, let's go and get some rest. So that's a good thing. There's a Sabbath principle here that, G- that um, God himself literally baked into the rhythms of the world. Um, six days he created, on the seventh day he rested. When he gave them the law a little bit later, he says, on that seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to remember uh, that I am the creator, that you're the creature. Um, you're going to remember the need for rest. And so rest, restore, it's this rhythm that God built into this whole thing. So beautiful, a great principle. We got to live by it. But there's always a twist. Jesus gives a twist, and there's this um, change of plans that they have to make as they go across looking for rest. Um, and so in verse 33, it says it like this. Now many saw them going and recognized them, 
and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Uh, when, they went, uh, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Okay, so this is a great principle. Go away, get rest, uh, let's Sabbath, let's find ways to build boundaries and uh, breathe and take time. But here's Jesus, and by the time they get there, um, like these people are nuts, right? They just like see Jesus and the disciples are going, they're like, I bet they're going over there. And um, they run, like literally they're running to like be waiting for Jesus. And when he gets out of the boat, like, Jesus, teach us more, teach us more. And they're just eager for um, more from Jesus. So this is the very thing that Jesus was trying to um, get out uh, away from, right? Like, let's escape from this and let's, let's retreat. If you, if you recall, they're, they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee here. The Sea of Galilee is um, a little bit smaller than Clear Lake. Um, so they, they could have seen where the boat's going. It's amazing to think that they beat them there. I think either Jesus and the disciples are slow rowers or these guys were fast runners. I don't know. But either way, when Jesus gets there, knowing that he and the disciples need rest, he gets there and what he sees instead is this need from the people, the spiritual need. They're coming and they're waiting for him. And so what does Jesus do? He looks at their need. He, he obviously believes in the Sabbath principle, but he sees their need. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and he's there, and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to help meet these needs. So he spends the day um, teaching these people. I think this is a, a good balance to me um, of the idea of Sabbath is super important, okay? There's this day of rest. There's this day of um, sitting back. But we've seen Jesus actually the whole time so far, and we're going to see it again where he pushes back on the way we use our boundaries sometimes. And so he sees people, uh, the disciples are um, picking grain on the Sabbath, and everyone's like, whoa, 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 you're supposed to be resting here. And Jesus is like, come on, man, what, are you serious? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And so Jesus is pushing back on the way that they're using the boundaries. The, the principle is helpful, but sometimes I think we get selfish with our boundaries, and we say, no, 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 this is me time, this is self-care. And of course, me time, self-care, all that is very important. But Jesus sees it in a bigger picture framework. I think the key is our, the rest that we get, the rest time for us is not just for us, is it? Like any more than our labor time is just for us. When we go out and we work, and we're, it's not just for us, it's for the Lord. It's, it's ultimately for him. So same thing when we're taking time to rest. Ultimately, it's not for me because I deserve it and whatever. It's like, no, this is time for the Lord. And the Lord told me to take some time to rest and, and to build a rhythm into remembering that. And so we do that. We do rest, um, but recognizing it's all for the Lord. What's he going to invite me into? If I, take, if I carve out some time for my schedule to sit here and rest with the Lord, what is he going to invite me into during that time? Here, Jesus and the disciples get invited into Jesus being a shepherd to them. So he, he looks at them. He sees them. He says, man, he has compassion on them. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. So he just walks up and he's like, oh my gosh, look at all these lost people. You know, they're just racing over there to meet him. He sees the needs that they have, and he just looks at them. His heart breaks, and he's like, they're just like sheep, and they need a shepherd. That, that's a common imagery in the Old Testament for God's people being lost. Um, and I just, I just picture, like I was just thinking of, it's easy to look back and be like, yeah, these, these um, awful lost sheep that Jesus had to reach. But I, I don't get the sense that this group would have felt like they were lost sheep. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they, um, they were there because they wanted to be there, right? They sprinted across that lake. They're like taking their, um, doing, like setting their plans there where they want to be. I'm kind of picturing us a little bit. Like, why are we here on Super Bowl Sunday? It's because we care. We know this is important. We're taking our spiritual lives into our own hands and we're saying like, hey, I know those other people are getting ready the queso dip and everything now, but we have time to serve the Lord. So we, we like plan and we're here because it matters to us. 
these people were clever and they beat Jesus to the spot, but still Jesus sees them and he's like, oh man, you poor lost sheep. You need me to be your good shepherd. And so I think that, you know, we came here because we know what's good for us. But here, here it is. Jesus, the, the relationship that Jesus has with his people is always so beautiful. He looks at them, he sees them with compassion, and he sees them as sheep that, that need to be shepherded. That, that is, at the end of the day, doesn't matter how much we get our act together, doesn't matter how much we think we know what's needed or not, um, we're still, at the end of the day, going to be sheep that are lost sheep that need a shepherd to shepherd us. Sometimes in the church, we get our act together so much that we feel like, We've got it. We're on the right track. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the vine and the branch deal again. Um, we have to be connected to that vine. We have to be led. And so if we ever uh, wonder, how does God view us? If we sit there and we think, and it looks like a lot of things, like maybe we don't think God thinks of us at all. Um, maybe we think, you know, just we're too insignificant or whatever. Maybe we think God's angry with us. Maybe we think he's disappointed in us. Maybe we think he's tired of us. But here it is. How does God see us as his people? He sees us as sheep without a shepherd. And when he thinks of us, he sees us with compassion. This breaking of his heart to say, man, I love these people. He looks at us compassionately. So let's remember his posture towards us is so beautiful. And what does he do? He spends a day teaching them when he had a day of spa treatments planned. And I'm glad that he did because it's such a beautiful picture that we get. Okay? So we, we get the idea. The spiritual... Um, spiritual uh, need that he identifies and sees. And here's the way Jesus addresses this. This is going to be the feeding of the 5,000, if you haven't put it together yet. And it's a really beautiful um, picture here. So verse 35, he says like this. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples are astute. They've been sitting there. Remember, they went away because they haven't even had time to eat. So they're like going to go like, hey, let's we'll grab lunch and we'll, we'll hang out in this uh, place where no one else is. They get there. There's all these people. So nobody's eating. And they're sitting there watching all these people just crowding around Jesus. And they're like, it's getting late. Uh, nobody seems to have brought lunch with them. And like, this is going to be a problem. So they are very practical. And um, they see these people, these people, by the way, are just so captivated by Jesus that they literally sprinted to the other side of a lake, and they're there, they haven't thought about their food, like they're just so captivated, they're not even thinking about their physical needs. Beautiful. Amazing how Jesus is that uh, compelling to people. But they get there, and the disciples are practical. They're hungry now, send them, because like, we can't, we can't do this. Like, there's, they need to go and find um, something to eat. But, But here's the beautiful thing about this. In this case, it is so good that these people came and were hungry. It's so good that they didn't bring lunches. It's so, so good that they didn't have anything with them. Why? Because we get to see the way that God provides for people in their need. If, if, they had, if they had been sensible and they had just walked casually there and gotten there when they got in there, and if they had time to bring their lunch and everything else, then like we would have had a nice teaching story, right? But what we get is something so much cooler because here's a group of people that are sort of at the end of their human capacity, right? It's not their fault that they're hungry. They're just human, you know? And they go and humans get hungry and so they're there and God's power shows up um, in a moment of need. And as I was reading this this week and praying through it and thinking about it, um, I just came to me like so often I want to come to the Lord uh, already satisfied, already filled, already um, cared for, right? I don't want to need more for him. I don't want to, like, I, I'm, I spend so much of my life trying to put myself together and get myself into a good place. And um, here's this reminder of, let's just show up where we show up. Wherever Jesus is, let's just be there with our need on full display, um, knowing, recognizing, like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm hungry for something right now. And watch how in our hunger, Jesus can meet us in that. 
So where does it go from here? It gets crazier and better, and I love it. So verse 37, little conversation between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Okay, so just right off the bat, how crazy, right? They're like, hey, uh, we've got, there's 5,000 men here, which a lot of people will say probably means there's also women and children beside, uh, beside that. It, that's what uh, an implication of, I think it's Luke, um, that gives the implication there's more, there's women and children there in addition to the 5,000. It's a massive crowd. And the disciples are like, get them, like they need to go get themselves something to eat. Well, Jesus looks at them, you give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, we haven't even eaten ourselves. How is that even possible, right? So Jesus, you give them something to eat. So bold. They respond. They say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. So Jesus uh, is just putting this on the disciples now, which is so unfair, so unfair. He's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants to do, but it's messed up to be like, uh, hey, hungry disciples that didn't get your rest time, uh, you go and take care of these people. So they are, they are absolutely right in everything that they're saying here, right? They don't have money to buy food for like five to 15 to 20,000 people, right? They just don't have that kind of money. That's a crazy amount of food um, to have to buy. They, they, how could they, if they could buy, how could they even carry all the food back? Like, it's just such a, a logistical nightmare, okay? And so Jesus, um, I, what I love, he's kind of inviting them into the shepherd. There's a situation, you guys are right, there's a need here. Help me, let's do this. You guys go give them some need. And they're like, we can't. So then Jesus take, invites them to take inventory of what you have. I love that he's like, what, what do you have? Go and see. And so they go back, uh, Jesus, go and see what you have. They come back and um, it's like Jesus is saying, hey, let's not start with like how great the need is. Let's not, let's not start with how big the situation is. Let's start with what you actually have in your hands. So what are we working with here? So Jesus sends them back, not to get paralyzed by the bigness, but just to say, okay, well, what do we have? And they come back and it doesn't look good, right? Five loaves of bread, uh, like, a, like a, maybe what a person would eat in a day. Um, and a couple of fish. That's all they've got. Like, I don't know what they were planning to do even on their own, but that's all they have, and there's this massive thing. And so they come with what they have, um, and they're, they're going to offer that to Jesus, but they know, as well as we know, reading it, that, like, that is not enough. And I would say, um, so often the things that Jesus calls us to do in life, like, this fits a principle that I see in my life of Jesus invites us and calls us to do a thing that is legitimately too difficult, you know? Like, there's, there's so many, like, I just, even on the scale of, like, my, my marriage or me being a, a dad to my kids, like, there's things there that are, like, harder than I can do. You know what I'm saying? I'm at the end of my rope, and I've got to be strong for my, uh, my wife or my kids. Like, I don't know how to do that, right? So we look around, and we say, like, I, you know, here's this person suffering. This person's gone through a lot. They've lost someone they love. They're, they're going through addiction. They're going through a, a tough divorce situation. They're going through something that's really hurting them bad. They've got a cancer diagnosis. I can't possibly help that person, right? And I think the thing is, we're right. Those things are too hard for us in our finite wisdom to be able to handle. Uh, we look at our neighbors that, that need Jesus. We know they need Jesus, but like, how do you show somebody their need for Jesus? How do you get them to see everything that Jesus has to offer? You can't do it on your own. Um, our, our marriages, our relationships, our families, our, our relationships to our adult parents, um, our relationships to our aging parents, like all those things are impossibly difficult to do, let alone the, the, the pains and everything of job um, situations and, and raising kids and all those kinds of things. And so 
they come back, five loaves of bread, two fish. Basically, they've got a couple of Lunchables, and they've got like this crowd that they've got to feed, you know? And so they come back, and, and we're left, if we were to stop here, we were left to say, okay, do we believe that this is enough food for these people, okay? And if you say, like, yeah, that'll do it, then you're, you're lying, okay? You're pretending you have more faith than you actually would in that situation. The disciples are like, there is no way. There's zero chance, and they are right. It is absolutely inadequate, right? But again, I'm going to say this again. It was good that this crowd showed up hungry and didn't have food because we got to see Jesus do something amazing. I'm going to say it this way. It's good that the disciples were so inadequate. You know what I'm saying? Good that they were so ill-prepared for what they were about to do. Good that their hands were so empty when they came back to Jesus. Why? Because what we get to see is not their preparedness and what great planners and logistical people they are, but we get to see the power of Jesus working through them because they were so inadequate. And so if you think, if you look at your hands right now and you think of your life situations and you think of everything that's weighing on you and you're struggling with, and you just say, okay, what am I holding in my hands? And you would probably think, not much. What are my hands capable of accomplishing? Probably not much. If you think that you're capable of a lot, that you're holding a lot, it means you're deluded in a different way, okay? This story is a story about how any meager thing that we hand to the Lord um, becomes a feast. It becomes provision. It becomes abundance. It becomes the power of God in an incredible way. So how will it go? We'll all pretend we haven't heard this story before and we'll be surprised to learn. Verse 39, he commanded them, they commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. It'd be fun to like do the math, I think, on this. So he's dividing the loaves and the fish and be like, okay, they each got like a gram of fish and like, you know, um, probably like a communion, a modern day communion uh, size of uh, bread probably. But here they are. And it's interesting how it starts off. It starts off like an army. So the the words that Jesus uses or that Mark uses in describing it, um, they sit down in groups. They're like kind of divided into companies by hundreds and by fifties. Um, when we see that, like it's not specific military terminology, but when we see that in the Old Testament, these, these are like how militaries arrange themselves by hundreds or by fifties. And so it's almost like Jesus is preparing this army, getting your companies, getting your regiments, and um, we're going to go accomplish something, right? So, okay, what are we going to accomplish here? What's this army for? Why are we being organized like this? Maybe it's just for handing out the food, but... Um, there's at least a suggestiveness, I would say, of we're being arranged because we're going to attack or we're going to accomplish something. But what do they accomplish? They just eat a meal together. That's all it is. They're just like this to receive the broken bread from Jesus, right? To receive from Jesus himself. And actually, it's interesting, it's, it's even possible, and this is going a little bit too far, but I'm letting you know that I'm going a little too far so you can weigh it yourself. Um, but John tells us, that the people at the end of this account um, tried to take Jesus and forcibly make him their king. They're like, Jesus, no, like, you have to be our king. This is happening. And Jesus, like, escapes from them, which I think is so funny that Jesus is like, nope, not yet, not, not in this way, not like you're thinking. So it's possible, it's probable even, that the reason they ran around to go see Jesus is they're like, we want this man to become our king right now. This is kind of inferring it from the way John tells the story. It's possible they were kind of organizing themselves, 50s, 100s, okay, we're ready. Jesus, tell us what to do, where to go. And instead what they get is Jesus is saying, what I want from you is 
eat with me. Let me provide for you. You eat what I'm going to break and bless. So I think it, it kind of starts in, a, in maybe a little bit of a hint of an army feel. That's, again, a little bit of an inference there, but maybe. It definitely has a communion feel. Starts like a communion thing. When uh, later in Mark, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is going to gather his disciples at, for the Passover, and he's going to break the bread. He's going to take the bread, he's going to bless it, he's going to break it, and he's going to give it to them. The wording that's used in verse 41 is almost identical, um, virtually identical to what is, uh, how it's described in the Passover meal, that last supper that Jesus has with his disciples. This is giving communion connotations. So when we get there later, we'll see, oh man, Jesus already did that once. He took the bread from them, he broke it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it out to them. Um, We're getting a sense of this whole kind of communion thing. Interestingly, Again, maybe a little bit speculative, but not too much, and you guys can weigh it here. We'll get back on, on solid ground in no time. Don't worry, guys. But it says that the grass is green. The only time in this region that the grass is green is in the spring, okay? And the spring is around the time of Passover. It's possible this was close to the time of Passover here. So just another just hint, echo, shadow. I think that these biblical authors often do put these little hints or echoes or shadows into things. Not, not to be like, this is what that means, but to just give us, get us thinking about the connections between the things. Because what we're going to see is, ultimately, Jesus is going to break bread later at the Passover time, and he's going to bless it and hand it to his people. Why? Because it's a picture then of him giving himself to his people. That is firm territory. That is what we're going to see, spoiler alert, in the Gospel of Mark. But here we're getting this this sort of foreshadow of Jesus just saying, hey, I'm going to provide for your needs by breaking this bread, um, by passing it out. So um, how how does it end? So he gives it all out to them. Um, There's not enough food to go around, of course, but yet somehow, miraculously, Last couple of verses we're going to look at, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. Okay, if it was the little communion, no one, no one has ever come up to me and been like, thank you so much for that communion meal, that was delicious, and I am stuffed, you know? <clears throat> so whatever Jesus did, it was abundant beyond what uh, is rational, okay? And they, they, at the end of it, though, <coughs> excuse me, verse 43, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So the outcome of this whole thing is everyone's satisfied. So somehow, like we're, we're not told the mechanism. I'd love to see what it looks like. You know, like the film version of this would be incredible to see. Is it like he breaks it off and they're like, hey, that, that like loaf is not getting any smaller. Like, I don't know like how he did it, but he, he did. And th- th- actually there, God has provided miraculously for people. I think there's echoes again of this. Um, Elisha in uh, 2 Kings is, um, uh, gives bread uh, to people and it, it multiplies. It's abundant. There's echoes here of the manna in the wilderness as God's people in the Exodus are wandering through the desert, um, and God miraculously provides abundant bread for the people um, in that situation. So there's all these echoes of God caring abundantly, even when we don't have anything. The principle, I think, that we see is God is capable of caring for his people abundantly, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when our abilities are weak. The disciples, the beautiful thing here is the disciples came into this event hungry, okay? So they were, they were sent out. Actually, the beginning of Mark 6, they were sent out two by two, and they weren't to bring any bread with them. So they were like intentionally like, hey, you're not going to stockpile anything for yourselves. You're just going to take what people feed you. When they come back, Jesus is saying like, hey, you guys haven't even had time to eat, so let's get across the lake, and we'll go spend some time. So the, the disciples were starving, right? And here's Jesus like, hey, what do you got? And they're like, oh, man, our two Lunchables Okay, Jesus, like, and they're, so they're, like, that's the last thing that they've got. They're out of food at this point, and they're just starving, right? Well, how does the whole thing end? 
this whole multitude is fed to the, stuffed to the rafters, and, um, and they walk away with 12 baskets full. So each disciple walks away with a full basket of bread. Like, it's unbelievable how abundant God's provision is. And it's just such a, it just shows how silly we are when we try to hoard the things that we have, right? God gave me this. I need it. Like, if I, if I let go of this, I will not have enough. And I think time and time again, we're invited to, hey, take stock of what you have. Look at what you're holding in your hands. What do you have there? Maybe it's more than we think. Sometimes we just get real ungrateful and unsatisfied. And there's more that we have even to start with than we think. But even when we hand the little bit that we have to God, should we ever be surprised that we get way more back in abundance? And this is not like a... Um, faith healer thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not selling any kind of, like, blessed prayer towel or anything like that. Like, uh, give to the Lord, and he'll bless you abundantly, brothers and sisters. No, I, I don't have that sense of, like, it's just, it's just this invitation to just take stock of, like, hey, what do I have? What can I afford? What do I need? And Lord, what have you placed um, within myself? We're, we're so self-deprecating sometimes about our, our gifts and what we bring to the table. And when we do that, it's like, we're looking at a person that the Lord has made, right? Like God made me who I am. And I spend, I spend time um, wishing I had the gifting of so-and-so, wishing I had the abilities of this person, wishing I had the resources of that person. Like I do that. I think you guys all do it too. Where we kind of, and it's like, who, who am I bashing on here? Is it, is it me, just me? Or am I saying, Lord, you should have made me better. You should have given me more, right? I look at the things I have, and I'm, if I just had more, I remember um, uh, when we bought our first house, it was like, man, it was, it was pretty tight, you know, and it was like, boy, we could get a much cooler house if we could just get like 10,000 more on our loan pre-approval, and our realtor's like, hey, be careful, because it does not matter what price range I'm looking at, everybody is like, boy, if I could just jump it up a little bit in that price range, we could really get the house that we need, you know, and um, anyway, I guess all I'm saying is, what they had to, if they had a fish, if they had like some fishy crackers, like if that's all they brought to it, it would not have mattered to the size of the meal, the size of God's provision. Like he took the little bit that he had, that they had, and just said, okay, great, that is enough because I am enough ultimately. So we see they come out with an abundance. We see this idea that like God's gifts are meant to be shared. I, I don't know what it would have been like if they had gotten their spiritual retreat with Jesus. That would have been a blessing. Um, that, yeah, I don't know. There, there's other examples where they do get it. Okay, Jesus goes off by himself to pray. We'll see that. Um, so there's, there's a, that principle is still in play, like rest and boundaries and all those kinds of things. So I don't know what it would look like if they had gotten that. But what they got instead was, um, was different. They got refreshed. They got rest, I think. I, I can't imagine them being there and seeing Jesus doing this and sharing this meal with all these people and getting the basketfuls left over of the whole thing. Like, there's no way that they were there watching all that happen without leaving just being like, all right, Lord, I am filled up in my soul. And sometimes, sometimes when we get selfish about our boundaries and we say, this is what I need, this is how I need to wall myself off, sometimes I think we lose these kinds of moments where God is, um, hey, I've got this thing for you to do. I'm inviting you into this today. Can you find rest even in the thing that you didn't expect, that you didn't want? I often find that. I try to be good with my boundaries on things, but I often find when the Lord invites me into something that I wasn't expecting, sometimes it's the richest thing. So uh, there, there's a rest that comes through this meal that Jesus, you know, this feast that God does. At, that All of it, I think, is just looking at, okay, Lord, everything I have is so little and so small unless, unless I hand it to you. And I think that's 
the whole thing. When we hoard the little we have, it diminishes, it gets smaller, we get unsatisfied about it, we get weird and mean and everything else. But when we, when we hand it to the Lord and we say, okay, Lord, this is, this is giving it to you. I love that Jesus takes the bread and the fish from them, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then what does he do? He hands it back to the disciples and they distribute it. So he teaches them, you've got to share it. You've got to go do the whole thing. So here's this story, this amazing story, um, a story of God feeding 5,000 plus, uh, 5,000, you know, 20,000 perhaps, who knows. Is it a big thing or a small thing? I've been kind of wrestling with this a little bit because at the end of the day, I mean, so I'm like, this is a massive thing, unreal, right? But at the end of the day, what did each person get in this whole thing? Everyone got dinner. You know what I'm saying? So there's a side of it that's like, okay, well, it, you know, everyone got dinner. It wasn't like everyone walked out with a life, lifetime supply of something, right? It's like, okay, that day the Lord gave them a meal, and that's amazing. But I think it's like, it matters, right? That, that, that feast that day in the wilderness mattered because the disciples got to see, okay, God provides. He always provides, right? There's never a chance that, that God is not going to provide. He knows what it is that we need. He reminded them that he was their shepherd. And so I f- just feel like this, um, this lifelong lesson that I see here that the disciples learned. So end of the day, everyone had to go and keep eating after this, you know? Um, but the disciples got a chance to see, um, man, the little that I have, I'll give it to the Lord and he'll do great things with it. Now, the dis- we're terrible at remembering things. So as good as this sermon has been, you guys are going to forget it, I guarantee, okay? And I will too, to be honest. Um, the crazy thing is, we're going to go a couple chapters in the Gospel of Mark, and they're going to be in the exact same situation. And Jesus is going to feed 4,000, um, and, and they're going to be in this exact same situation again. It's wild how forgetful we are, but they're seeing it. They're seeing this, this picture. He's the shepherd. Man, he's leading. He's carrying his people. There's, um, matter of fact, there are Psalm 23 uh, illusions in here as well, right? The the green grass, right? And the preparing of the meal uh, and the shepherd leading uh, his people like in these green pastures, those kinds of things. He's our good shepherd and he's caring for us. And so, okay, we need to wrap this up. What do we do? How do we go from here? I think we just take a second and we just say, okay, Lord, Everything in my life right now, um, man, if we could take stock, there's probably so many things to be happy and thankful and grateful for. So let's do that, okay? But I would also just say I, I am certain that for every single one of us, there are so many more things that we can be grateful for than we're aware of. And there's a, there's a reckoning that I think we have to do with, um, like, I, maybe if I could get you to hear um, uh, three words from Jesus. It says uh, in verse 38, Jesus tells them, go and see. He's saying, how many, uh, what do you have? Like, what do you have in your hands? Go and see. Like, if we could hear Jesus telling us, like, hey, go and see. Go and see what you have. Take stock of that, and let's offer it to the Lord together. So let me pray for us, and we'll um, continue to sing and worship this morning. Lord, I am uh, so thankful for this passage, um, this reminder of your grace and your care and your love I so, it's so beautiful. Lord, we see your power here too. I feel like most of my life I've just seen your power in this, but I see also now your compassion and the way that you just so graciously brought your disciples along. And Lord, I, I just, I feel uh, myself being the practical one always in what I can do and what I can't do. And um, Lord, would you, would you just nudge each of us out of that mindset of scarcity and inadequacy? And may we just come to you in hunger. May we come to you inadequate. Um, And Lord, as we do, would you show us your power? Would you show us your shepherding care uh, for us? Would you show us your great compassion um, for us? Lord, you are so good. 
And so, Lord, even as we sing now, would you be speaking to our hearts and reminding us of who you are and how you view us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.